most precious in my eyes. I see your scars and hear your wounded cries. These tattered hands have caught your every tear. I share your pain, your suffering draws me near. For I still know the plans I have for you. And I will lead you in the way I choose. Trust now my heart, my grace is still enough. Forever rest within my faithful love. Believing one hold fast so patiently. Unto the hope made sure at Calvary. One day you'll see this life is not in vain. I am the King, I'll soon return to reign. For I still know the plans I have for you. And I will lead you in the way I choose. Trust now my heart, my grace is still enough. Forever rest within my faithful love. Thank you very much, Daniel and Joy. And I am sorry, but I do not have my cordless. Should have thought about that earlier, Jeff. That's my fault, not yours. That's what happens when you don't go to your office before you come in the auditorium. My fault, okay. Uh, turn to John 19. We're usually not this unorganized visitors, <laughs> usually, okay, sorry, did, did a few things different tonight, and I can see that didn't work, all right, take your Bibles, turn to John 19, verse 30, let's hope I didn't lock my office door so he can't get in, sing the first verse together, please, would you, would? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Twas blind, but now I see. We've been there when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when. We first begun. 
John chapter 19, if you will, please follow along as we read beginning at verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Then said they among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I want to bring a message tonight on that saying of the cross, it is finished. I preached this morning, if you were here, on uh, the first saying on the cross where Jesus said to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. After Jesus said that, the next thing he said upon the cross, he said to the, one of the thieves who was crucified with him, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then, woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And... Uh, 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 Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But before he said that last sentence, he said these words, it is finished. And as I mentioned this morning, you can't go to any one of the four gospel books and find all of the seven things that Jesus said on the cross. There are uh, there, Some are in some and some in others, but you, you put all four together. Those are what we call the seven sayings of the cross. There are none that are more important than others. We can't rank them in order of importance. I just have to believe that first one that we preached on this morning, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is so highly significant in the light of the entire picture of Calvary. And then when we come down to that last one, I mean, I just had to choose one other. I just, my mind just riveted on that phrase, it is finished. Because I think if there is anything that Jesus said on the cross... That really sums up the whole purpose of Calvary. All that was going on there and, and the why behind the scenes, surely it's then that cry of Jesus when he said, it is finished. So just a brief message tonight. What is the meaning of the word finished? In the Greek here is tetelestai. Tetelestai, it is finished. It comes from a word which means to set out or a word that is to set out for a definite goal. It's the point aimed at. The ultimate or prophetic purpose. That's the word, that's where that tetelestai comes from. It's not the actual meaning of the word. That's where it comes from, okay? A word that says or means to set out for a definite goal, the point aimed at, an ultimate or prophetic purpose. So the word itself, it is finished, tetelestai, means to accomplish. Here are some different meanings of that word, okay? To accomplish or to make an end, to pay, to perform. To complete. When Jesus said, it is finished, what can that mean? To accomplish, to make an end, to pay, to perform, to complete. We might say today, the end. Or we might say, done. Finished, done, complete, the end. Uh, if you go back and 
do a search, uh, do, do some, a study on this particular word and how it was used in Greek, uh, Greek culture at that time, you would find that it was really oftentimes used as a business term. Uh, we would use the phrase paid in full. Isn't it, a, isn't it an exciting thing when something's paid in full? I remember what a big deal it was when we made our, how, how many of you have made your final house payment? Can I see your hand, okay? Wasn't that a fun day? Wasn't that nice when you wrote that check and you, you sent it in and it was like, done, paid in full. I mean, it is finished, okay? Some of you say, I can't quite relate to, relate to that yet, okay? Well, how about your car? Do we need to ask how many have got your car paid for? If we ask too many questions, we'll know how in debt you are. That's not really our purpose, okay? But when you made that final car payment, it's like done, paid in full. That's the idea here. It is finished, done, complete. A slave would say this when he reported to his master. He gets up early in the morning. He goes to his master, says, what do you want me to do today? The master said, this is your job for this morning. Come see me when you're done. And he goes and does the job, hopefully. And then he comes back to his master and he says, tetelest die. He says, it is done, finished. The work is complete. An artist might use this word. When they, when they took their brush and they, they, they made that last stroke, the, last, the painting was all done. They say, tetelest die. All complete. It's all done. Uh, an, uh, an author might use this word, writing a book. Somebody, I've had so many people ask me, after you retire, are you going to write a book? I, I feel no calling to write a book. I just, I never have. I, I just never have felt a calling of the Lord to write books. But anyway, when somebody writes a book, it can take, oh, we, we had a gentleman we were conversing with not long ago. Uh, someone in our church had a question about something, and I knew a man that I thought could really be a help on that. And I called him, and I said, a man in our church came to me and asked this question. I think you could be a tremendous help in that. And he said, Pastor Carsey, I would be thrilled to help. But I, I'm writing a book right now, and I have a deadline. And he said, my deadline is he gave me a date. And he says, I know this sounds exaggerated, but from about now to then, he said, it is about 24 hours a day, seven days a week, except on Sunday. I get in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. And he said, other than that, I am, I am writing this book. And I just have, I've wondered what happened when he wrote the final word. How did it feel like after all those months and months, even perhaps years of writing that book, and to say, look, that's the last word of the book. That's the meaning here. Tetelestai, it is finished. It's all done, the end. And by the way, this was not a, a, a cry of defeat. This is not a, a martyrdom cry here, okay? Uh, this, is a, this is a triumphant call. This is a triumphant shout, the shout of, the shout of victory. It's a, it's a cry of, of victory when Jesus says, Tetelestai, it is finished. Matthew and Mark, Luke and John don't tell us this now, but Matthew and Mark tell us that after Jesus was given the vinegar to drink, it says he shouted with a loud voice before he died. He shouted with a loud voice. Now, we don't know. Well, what was it he shouted? We know one thing. It had to be one of two things. It either had to be, it is finished, or it had to be, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Most, most men believe that the shout, of the loud shout was not, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But it may have been. Most believe that his triumphant shout, a loud shout was, Tetelestai, it is finished. So what is the message of it is finished? When you hear that phrase, Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. I think an obvious question would be, well, what was finished? What was finished? There's probably one answer that would be given more than any other answer, and I'll save that for last. But when I started studying for this message, I asked that question. I got this far in the message. I said, okay. Jesus said, it is finished. So what was finished? 
And I thought, I don't want to go beyond what this could mean, but it's, it could mean more than just what we all think. But I don't, want to, I don't want to think something I shouldn't think, so I do as I usually do. I did all my studying first. When I got all finished, I said, well, now, I don't want to preach something that's heresy. I don't want to preach something that is just not true. And so I, then I grab my commentaries, and I start reading one after the other and see if I'm in line with what I, what I, with what I thought. And it was interesting how I have five things. Four out of five were mentioned in those commentaries, just like almost one after the other. I said, well, praise the Lord. I'm not the only one thinking like that. So let me just share five with you real simple things that this really could mean it is finished. Number one, it could mean Jesus' earthly life, including his preaching, his performing of miracles, all that he did as God in human flesh. His earthly life was coming to an end. Now his life was finished. How many times did Jesus, I don't know the answer to this, but how many times did Jesus on the earth during his lifetime, how many times did he say something like this? My time is, can you finish it? There you go. My time is not yet come. My time is not. In fact, one time his brother said, uh, Jesus, it's time for the feast. Why don't we go up to Jerusalem? And Jesus said, uh, your time is always ready. You can talk that through and think that through, and you can decide if this is a time for you to go. But he says, my time is not yet come. And I studied that one time a long time back, and I remember how wonderful it was that Jesus basically said, look, I have a time schedule that was given to me by my heavenly Father, and my time is not yet come. I'm on his schedule. And then he came, as we know, to this earth for a definite purpose. He had a schedule to meet. He had a mission to accomplish. And by the way, he knew all about that. Nothing, nothing took Jesus by surprise. There wasn't any time where Jesus said, you know, <laughs> I didn't expect that to happen today. This day did not go as I had planned. I really wasn't, I wasn't anticipating that interruption. And I kind of debated, you know, should I do that or not? Or is this going to get off? No, it, it, didn't, it wasn't like that. And I can tell you one thing also for sure. He knew everything he was going to be going through the last week of his life. Nothing caught him by surprise. You want to do something very special this week, along with your devotions. I'm not asking you to get off track in your devotions, but you read the last two or three chapters of the four gospel books, beginning with wherever it starts, Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You start there, and you what happened in his life, what he went through from Palm Sunday all the way up to Easter Sunday. And I want to tell you again, as you read, don't ever be thinking, I don't know if he would have gone through with things if he knew that was going to happen. Now, I've mentioned this many times in my years preaching here. Uh, most of you never even heard about this, but back in the, I don't know, was it 60s or 70s, somewhere in there, that religious rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. Remember that? Anybody? That was the first rock opera that really came out big time. It was a, it was a controversial thing, trust me. And when you read the words of that religious rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, after a while you shake your head and say, that is not true. That is absolute blasphemy. And I can't even believe any church that would have ever performed it, and yet churches were performing it all over the country. When Jesus gets close to the cross and he says these words, I'm real close, he said, Father, if I would have known it was going to turn out like this, I wouldn't have come. And what do you think when you hear that? Father, if I knew it was going to turn out like this, Perhaps I wouldn't have come. No, he knew everything that was going to happen. How many times did he say to his disciples, the Son of Man will soon go into Jerusalem. He'll be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He'll be crucified. But he always said he'll rise again the third day. So his earthly life was coming to an end. And on the cross, he says, my time has now come. It's not my time is not yet. 
Now he says, my time has now come. All has been fulfilled. It is finished. Number two, it's possible. When Jesus said it is finished, that he's in, and I really believe this is a part of it, the Old Testament law was fulfilled and satisfied. We know that's true. The Old Testament law was absolutely fulfilled when Jesus Christ died upon the cross. And that's one reason why when he died, the Bible says that the, the veil of the temple, remember, was rent in two from top to the bottom. And now men could go into the holiest of holies. It wasn't just for the high priest. Everything changed regarding the law when Jesus Christ died. In fact, go to Philippians, go to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment, if you will, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at just a couple of scriptures on this. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 15, start with verse 14, for he is our peace, Jesus Christ is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, how did he do that? Broke down that middle wall between that was between the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And now we have this thing called the church that's, that, that has started, okay? He says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. We're close. Go back a book to Galatians chapter 3. Would you do that, please? Go to Galatians chapter 3. I mean, this is very plain. Galatians chapter 3, if you will, please notice beginning at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, would you read the rest with me please? Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Don't forget that. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Go to the book of Colossians, please, just a few books later. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And look at Colossians chapter 2, please. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his what? To his cross. When you think of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross and you hear him say, it is finished, you can be thinking, you know what? What was finished? The law is behind us. And now it's Christ's death upon the cross, his burial in the grave, and the empty tomb, his resurrection. And no, no longer were we under law. He says, now what is it in Romans 6? You are not under the law, you are under, you tell me. We're under grace now. Not under the law, but under grace. We'll talk more about that in just a moment, okay? Would you go back to Acts chapter 15, the book of Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, there's a big-time debate going on. I mean, there is, there is a real conflict. Well, what happened? There were some from Judea 
that said you had to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. In fact, let's just go to Acts chapter 15. Would you notice, please, the very first verse of the chapter? And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, what's been happening here? The gospel of Jesus Christ has gone outside of Jerusalem. It's gone outside of Judea and Samaria. It's gone to the uttermost part of the earth. And now you have Gentiles by the hundreds and probably thousands of Gentiles being saved. And everything seems to be going really well until some men from the, from the, the mother church, so to speak, back from Jerusalem came and said, no, no, we got a little problem here with these Gentiles being saved. I mean, look, there's something missing here. Except you be, what does he say? Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you, you cannot be saved. Well, let's read the next few verses. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them uh, would go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their, on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, confirming the circumcision of the Gentiles, or the, rather the conversion, the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and the, and the elders. And they declared unto them all that God had done with them. Now notice verse 5. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the what? The law of Moses. Well, you've got, to, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to, you've got to keep the law of Moses. And so what do they do? They have this huge debate. Peter speaks first, and then, and then J, um, Paul, and then James speaks as the, as the pastor of the church. And they come to the conclusion, listen, it is so clear. We are no longer under the Old Testament laws. We're under those moral laws, but all the ceremonial laws, the ordinances, and all those governmental things, he says, no, that's all behind us now. And there was some stipulations there about what do you do when you're amongst the Jewish, the Jewish people then that don't quite see it that way. It's all in Acts chapter 15, but you can't read the chapter without saying, look, you know what the conclusion was? We are no longer under the Old Testament law. We can't tell these Gentiles you've got to do, got to live like the, Jew, like the Jews have been living. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. We're told that we are not under law, but we are under Christ. We're under grace. Where he says, not under the law of Moses, but we're in law to Christ. By the way, don't ever forget Galatians 5.13. That whole book of, but the whole book of Galatians is about this issue. To what extent, if any, does the law have to do with how we're saved? And then when you become a Christian, does it make you a better Christian? Does it keep you saved? And this whole, the whole, that whole issue is Galatians all throughout the book. And you find in, in Galatians verses like, Brethren, you have been called, Galatians 5, 13, Brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Been called unto freedom, freedom of the law. But he says, caution now, do not let your liberty become an occasion to the flesh. Don't let your liberty now become a starting point for your flesh to go to work. But he says, by love, serve one another. And I'm sorry to say it, but there is, there's been, for the last probably about 10 years in our country now, there's been a focus in some areas about, about the fact that we are under grace so we can do just about anything and everything we want to do because we're not under law anymore. Now we're under grace. Listen, grace does not, the law of Christ, the law of grace or does not give us a, a, a license to sin. Don't ever forget that. 
I know people that have said, thank God we're not under law, we're under grace now, so we can go to whatever movie we want to go to, we can listen to whatever music we want to listen to, we can wear whatever we want to wear, we can pretty much live as we please, because we're not, and anybody starts saying you can't do that now, they said, don't, the problem is they're legalistic, you know, they're legalistic, that is not, that has nothing to do with legalism. That's being under now law, when we talk about freedom, we're saying, you know what now, we don't go by, by the, the written laws of the Old Testament. We have the laws of God written upon our hearts. And we have the blessed Holy Spirit of God who indwells every Christian, and he prompts us to do right. He prompts us to live for Jesus Christ. He prompts us to live for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So now there is a burning desire, a passion in the heart of every true Christian to want to know what is pleasing to the Lord. How can I honor the one who saved me? And you know this, I've mentioned so many times, my favorite two verses of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ, Christ loved for me the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all then we're all dead and that he died for all watch it now so that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again so when I get up in the morning and you get up in the morning it's not like okay now what laws do I have to keep today what was that verse back there in Leviticus I forgot that passage back there in Numbers and then there's that Deuteronomy what were those laws now that no it's not like that it's like Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you that Jesus Christ came from your place to, to earth and, and died for my sins. And thank you that he was buried and rose again. And thank you for regeneration. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for indwelling me. Thank you that one day I'm going to be with you forever. How can I live for you today? How can I honor you today? How can I please you today? Whether we therefore labor, he said, we labor therefore that whether present or absent, we might be accepted of him, well-pleasing to the Lord. How can I bring a smile on the face of the one who not only created me, but he came to earth and died for me, and he saved me, and he indwells me? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's the law we live by. But as far as the Old Testament law, that's all done when Christ died upon the cross. And one day on the cross, he said, it is finished and everything changed about this subject of Old Testament law. Number three, it's possible that Jesus meant when he said it is finished that Satan and his demons were defeated. First John chapter three verse eight says this, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. We read Colossians earlier, Colossians 2.14. Remember that? Seeing that Christ had, had uh, Blotted out the handwriting of the law that was against us, taking out of the way, it was nailed to his cross. Very next verse says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. I want you to take your Bible and go to Hebrews chapter 2. I know we're going, looking at a lot of verses tonight. We're not spending long on any of them. But Hebrews chapter 2, I think, are powerful verses we can think about with Jesus Christ being on the cross and saying, it is finished. Hebrews chapter 2, please. Verses 14 and 15. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's us, we're flesh and blood, we're humans. He, Jesus Christ also himself, likewise took part of the same. Okay? He was with the Father forever. But there came a time in history where he was born into the human race as a virgin born, as the virgin born Son of God. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus Christ, likewise himself, he took part of the same. Why did he do that? 
Why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Look at that verse again. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He became flesh and blood. He became a human being. Why? That through his death, there he is on the cross. It is finished. Through his death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Jesus Christ on the cross. It is finished. What's finished? That was a, that was a death blow to Satan, folks. If Jesus Christ had not, I said this this morning, if Jesus Christ had not died upon the cross of Calvary, Satan would have won a huge victory and there would be no salvation for anybody, period. There is no heaven for us to go to. There's no, there's no forgiveness of our sins. There's no being born into the family of God. There's no rapture of the church. And we would, we would live in fear of death every day of our lives not knowing whatever comes next after fear, pray tell, because Satan would have won. In fact, Jesus Christ on the cross, it is finished, is a fulfillment of that which was said to Lucifer back in the Garden of Eden, right after Adam and Eve sinned. Remember, God gave punishment to Adam, God gave punishment to Eve. What did God say to Lucifer, the serpent? Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy, the seed of the woman shall bruise what? It shall bruise thy head, Lucifer, thy head, Satan, and you will bruise his what? You tell me? His heel. You will bruise the seed of the woman's heel. He, he, he hung on Calvary's cross, but the seed of the woman, he's going to bruise your head, and Satan is a defeated foe. Amen? And I tell you, read the book of Revelation, how you rejoice that Satan is not, he doesn't reign all the way all through earthly time and into eternity. He's a defeated foe. He will be in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. And he will be there because Jesus Christ upon the cross said, it is finished. Number four. I love this one. All the prophecies of the coming death of the Messiah were fulfilled. In fact, in just those few verses tonight we read before we came to that phrase, it is finished there in John 19.30, twice in those few verses we read something like this, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So many people think that prophecy in scripture is all about the last days. It's all about the, the, the tribulation. It's all about the thousand year reign of Christ. No, there are there are all kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, just about his birth, things about his earthly life, and many things about his death, and as we'll see next Sunday, prophecies about his bodily resurrection. But when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, one thing surely he could be referring to was the fact that all of the Old Testament prophecies now about his birth, his earthly life, and his death, they were all fulfilled. Verses like, I think I quoted these this morning, Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are what? We're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. 
Acts chapter 3, verse 18, Peter's preaching. Listen to what he says. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. I mean, get out your Bible this week and read just the story of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you will see that it just one thing after another, if you stop and do some thinking, yeah, that was predicted back in the Old Testament. In fact, read Psalm 22. That's a great place to start. Just read Psalm 22 and think about Christ hanging on the cross and saying, it is finished. And you say, oh, there's a chapter loaded with prophecies about his coming, his coming death. Peter, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Turn to Acts chapter 13, would you please, Acts 13? I just chose a couple. I read one, but let's look at Acts 13. Paul is preaching. In Acts 13, we heard what Peter said. What about Paul? He's preaching in Acts chapter 13. Look at verses 27, 28, and 29. Start at verse 26, in fact. Men and brethren... Children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell, we read this this morning, remember? For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him, God raised him up. What a wonderful passage of scripture. What is Paul saying? Listen, you slew the son of God. You slew the Messiah. You slew the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God had this all perfectly planned and all, listen, point after point after point, it was given by the prophets. They spoke of these things. And you know what? They said, God does everything perfectly. That's just the way God is. He doesn't make any mistakes. Every single thing he said would happen about the death of Jesus Christ happened. All of the scriptures will be fulfilled and it is very possible. That is a part of what Jesus has in mind when he says, it is finished. All those prophecies fulfilled in his death. And then there's one more, and I think it's the most obvious one. Surely it has to be the one that we think of when we hear it is finished. The most obvious meaning has to be it is finished. The work for our salvation was accomplished. It was all done. Sin was paid for in full. Ephesians 1, 7, speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. Read the book of Hebrews. Read chapters 9, read chapters 10. And you will find in those two chapters, especially the book of Hebrews, how Christ Jesus' death is contrasted with the death of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. And he, as our high priest, is contrasted with all those priests in the Old Testament. Old Testament law, lambs sacrificed, one lamb after another, one day after another. And every day and every week and every month and every year, just year after year after year, and priest after priest after priest, and lamb after lamb after lamb is slain, and then one day, God's lamb is slain. 
He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And every, sacri every sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament was a type or a picture or a symbol of God's perfect lamb that would one come. And that one phrase is once and for all. He gave one sacrifice forever and it was done. No more to be repeated. Aren't you glad you don't have to bring a lamb to church every Sunday? I'm sure glad I don't have to go through the process of, of uh, slitting his throat and, and, and sprinkling the blood and all that. When did all that stop? When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What's finished? God's plan of salvation was complete. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 9 and 10, all through those chapters, no more animals had to be slain. What did John the Baptist say one day? Behold, he saw Jesus, he said, John 1, 29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, can you finish it? That taketh away the sin of the world. Don't ever forget that. He said, ah, there's one coming after me who I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's coming after me. He, he, he was before me. He was, he's preferred before me. He was before me. And when he comes, I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoes. And one day he sees him coming. And it says the next day, John sees Jesus coming to him. And he says, behold the lamb. Look, take a good look. Behold the lamb of God, God's lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. And you have to see that when you see Jesus Christ dying upon the cross. And he says, it is finished. And don't you love John 3, 14, 15, and 16? If you know those verses... Say them with me. John 3, 14 to 16. Nicodemus, remember, comes to Jesus that night. And he says, uh, 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 good master, you know, and, 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 and he talks with the Lord. And the Lord says, you got to be born again. you got to be born again. you got to be saved. Nicodemus says, well, how can I be born? How can man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb be born? And he can't figure it out. And Jesus keeps explaining. Finally, he comes down to verse 1 in our Bible, John 3, 14. And here's what Jesus said. You can say it with me, please, okay? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, folks, when you see in Numbers 21, when you read the story of the brazen serpent where the people were murmuring and complaining and grumbling and God sent fiery serpents among them and they bit the people. The Bible says that much people of Israel died and they said, go to Moses. Look, what are we going to do? Go to God and, and, and you know, we've, we've sinned. But, you know, help us please. Do something. You know, we're dying. And Moses goes to God and God says, make a, make a, a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. Put it up in the middle of the camp and spread the word. If you have been bitten by a serpent and you want to be healed, you don't want to die, all you have to do, you don't have to bring money, you don't have to join something, you don't have to change something or give something or whatever. He says, all you've got to do is look at the serpent of brass and whoever looks is healed. And the Bible says that's exactly what happened. When you see that serpent of brass on a pole and whoever looks in faith believes your mind ought to go to the Lord Jesus Christ, lifted up on Calvary's cross. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross, that whosoever looks upon him in faith, whosoever believeth in him, whoever trusts in him, should not perish, die, and go to hell, but should have eternal life. How did that ever happen? On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's all done. I want to close with this tonight. I could save it till next week. But I want to end with this tonight. My wife and I sang this morning the song, 
10,000 angels. And a phrase that we sang in that song said this, salvation's wondrous plan. And when he cried, it's finished. He gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was done. That's what we sang this morning. Okay? He gave himself to die. And when he said, it's finished, he gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was done. Question, is that true? Was, the salvation's, was salvation's wondrous plan done when Jesus died upon the cross? The answer is yes and no. Is that what you just said to your wife? Yes and no. It was done as far as the blood was shed. The price was paid in full, and man doesn't have to try to add anything to that. It's done. It's finished. But you and I know a dead Jesus could not, would you like to tell me? A dead Jesus can't save anybody. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1. I declare unto you the gospel that I've preached unto you. He said, what is that in verses 3 and 4? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Romans chapter 4, verses, I think it's 21, 20 and 21, concerning Jesus Christ. He was delivered for our offenses. Delivered up to die. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He was delivered for our offenses, the next verse says. And the, the next phrase says, and he was raised again for our justification. The death of Christ and his resurrection go together. You have to have both for salvation. My two favorite salvation verses are Romans 10. If you know those, you can quote them with me. Would you do that, please? Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, but he was buried because he was really dead, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that is God's definition of the gospel. And if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him, the one who paid in full for all of our sins, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you go home tonight and remember anything that's been said, I would challenge you to remember when Jesus Christ upon the cross said, it is finished, he really meant that. For our salvation, he really meant that. And what a shame it is to think of how many people in the world by hundreds and thousands and millions and even billions, they, they have a different plan. They, they add something to that. They don't know, they don't have a clue. And not just people in foreign lands. I'm talking about people in America. I'm talking about people who live in the Bible Belt, including Oklahoma. You go to a mall, can't do this anymore. We used to do it with teenagers. Go to a mall and take a survey. They'll throw you out of the mall now. Can't do that anymore, okay? You take a survey and just ask people questions like, who do you believe Jesus is? Or ask a question like, uh, do you believe you can have eternal life? And if so, how do you get it? Do you believe that there's, there's, a, there's a heaven and a hell? And if there is, then, then what do you have to do to go to heaven? You will get, you will get a, a whole bunch of different answers, folks. Very, very seldom, very, very few times will anybody say, oh, you talk about being saved? 
Jesus Christ, God's son, came to earth and died upon the cross and was buried and rose again. And now God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, you are saved. That's the only way to get eternal life and that's the only way to go to heaven. And when you hear that, you go, oh, somebody actually said that? It's like, whoa, because you're going to hear all kinds of weird plans of salvation. Why would people try to add to what... But it, this has nothing to do with baptism. It's nothing to do with church membership. It's nothing to do with turning over a new leaf or, or putting some money in the offering plate or giving to charity or helping elderly people across the street or anything else. It's like it's done. It's paid in full. It's all finished. And, you know, and shouldn't we be telling people that? When's the last time you told somebody that? What a shame to have people all around about us by the hundreds and thousands and they have no clue what it is finished means. And they go on another day, another day, another week, another month, perhaps another year or five years or ten years or maybe tomorrow morning they die and they go to hell. Not having any idea that Christ completely paid for their salvation and said it is finished just before he died. And all they have to do is acknowledge and turn from their sins and put their faith in this Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done for them, and they are born again. Would you bow your heads, please, tonight? Praise the Lord for his sacrifice for us. We, do not, we cannot fully comprehend it. But we believe the Bible is true. And the question is asked, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you been saved? Has there been a time and a place in your life? Maybe you don't know the actual date, but you would not forget the experience if it ever happened. Has there been a time and a place in your life when you saw yourself as being a sinner, someone who had broken God's commands? You knew you weren't perfect, and you knew there was something missing, something wrong. And you got a little concerned about that, a little fearful, and thought, is there really life after death? I've heard of this thing called judgment. People used to talk about hell. I don't hear much about it anymore, but is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? Am I going to hell when I die? What help, what hope is there for me? And somebody came and talked to you, or you heard a message, or read a book, or a little gospel flyer, or something, and you found out that God loves you, and Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And if you would accept him, trust him, believe on him, he would forgive you and save you and give you eternal life. And you said, I did that. I know that I'm saved. Well, praise the Lord. If you haven't done that yet, after our service is dismissed tonight, you, you, if you're a man, you come and find me. Say, Pastor, can I talk to you, please? If you're a man or a boy, if you're a woman or a girl, would you find my wife? We'll, we'll be around. Say, could I please? I have a few questions. Could, could, could I just have a couple minutes of your time? Let us help you. Let somebody show you from that Bible tonight God's simple plan of salvation. And if you're ready and your heart's open, you can trust the Lord this evening. And as Christians tonight, during this invitation time, is there anything at all that goes through your mind that says, this is so simple and it is so important. When is the last time I ever told anybody? What am I doing about evangelism and witnessing, soul winning, 
and you feel embarrassed, you feel just a little ashamed or perhaps greatly ashamed, why don't you talk with the Lord about that? Let's stand together, please. Could we do that? Standing together tonight with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our pianist plays a verse or two of, a, of an invitation song. If I can help you tonight, step out from where you're standing and meet me here. We'll not embarrass you, we'll help you. Let somebody take you to a Sunday school classroom and talk with you tonight and help you. Otherwise, you can talk with the Lord right there, right there by the pew. You just talk with the Lord. As she plays, you do business with God. Would you do that? Have you trusted the one who said, it is finished, all done, it's paid in full. Have you ever trusted him? Have you told anyone about him recently? Anyone? Anyone?